0: Oh yeah, yeah, where do you think you're going? 1860. Through there, first left, second right, third on the left. Go straight ahead, under the stairs, past the bins. Pull to open. Pull to open. Yes, and what do you do? Projection on glass. Homburg. Nothing but luminous tambourines and a squeeze box concealed between the knees. But we're two. I can't take part in this.
1: Stop prevaricating. Get the hearse ready. We're going body snatching. Not a bad life. Here
0: come the drums. Here come the drums, here come the drums. <laughs> hello and welcome to pull to open an ongoing quest to watch all of doctor who in random order i'm pete Pashel.
1: And I'm Chris Taylor, and we are a couple of guys who are on this random journey, been on it for some time. Uh, We've been on it for at least 80 stories of both the classic and the new show. And
0: it's
1: (laughs) it's been 84 years. No, not quite, although sometimes it feels like it. Uh, but yeah we are we are barreling towards that that one- third of Doctor Who done point uh, very exciting and we are in a territory that we don't normally traverse here with with uh, one of our least visited doctors. Uh, we're visiting him again so uh, so pe- set the scene if you will with our previous well,
0: previously on Paul to open. Three stories ago, we were in the Jodie Whittaker era, rather recent era, uh, checking out a episode called "The Saranga Conundrum." The and conundrum probably being, not about that. Yeah, conundrum <laughs> being, why would anyone check it out? Exactly. Um, yeah, but promptly yeah. forgot about it, and then <laughs> uh, we're thrust into the middle of what looked like World War One, but no, Ooh. it turns out a lot more was afoot. Going on ten episodes of things being afoot, mm. lots and lots and lots of Doctor Who, a Doctor Who miniseries that is the War Games. that was Patrick wow. yes.
1: still can't believe we did it. We did it. We got through. We did it. We got through, <laughs> we got through it. We went through our trial. And oh, we hey, hey, were...
0: hey. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't, <laughs> don't jinx it.
1: Uh, we have got through our first major trial of the Doctor. Uh, don't, don't, uh, can't say and, the T word. That's right. And then oh, we don't. were exiled to Earth at the end of the War Games, weren't we?
0: That's right. We exiled to Earth, but not where you might think. We were back in ancient China uh, on the Silk Road with one Marco Polo and all the issues he had getting to Peking without getting you know, killed by poison or dehydration or bandits. Or warlord. Or, just, or warlord. All that stuff. Mm. There are a lot of warlords on both of those now that I think Indeed. about
1: it. Warlords so, on both sides.
0: And we had to say goodbye to uh the assassin at Peking, and then we were thrust, I guess, forward in time, but to a little senses. bit of a yeah and a s in a story that is set in Cardiff in the nineteenth century, and that is of course series one, episode three, The Unquiet Dead that is right it is time to be not
1: quiet about the unquiet dead and wow i mean could you could you script it better if Thank if you me. were the randomizer to go from marco polo to charles dickens to go from the first historical uh, the first true historical of the classic series to the first sort of historical <laughs> of the new series i mean wow yeah. We didn't even draw that connection last week, really. You know, I, I don't I it's taken me like right. a whole week to marvel over what the randomizer has done here. Yeah. Uh, it's astonishing.
0: Yeah, I mean the pure historical, quote unquote pure historical is kind of an invention of, mm. you know, fans. I mean, I know what it means. It's that there's no supernatural or alien thing going on and it's just the doctor in history. But the doctor in history, I think, is how most people think about this. You just kind of go mm. back in time and you go forward in time, and sometimes there's alien stuff going on in the past. And I think it's fair to say that these are both like the first historical episodes of doctor who in a very real mainstream kind of way. Yeah. Um, You know, for the new series and the old series. So yeah, yeah. it's very cool that, And they took different
1: approaches. There's like a different level of humor. Uh, We'll get into all that, but Mm. yeah, I think we're, you know, the the sort of overall arc that we're looking at here is why why did the new show succeed as well as it did? I think a lot of the DNA of it is right here. A lot of what RTD set out to do with Doctor Who to make it the global phenomenon that it is today is Mm. is right there in the Unquiet Dead. Um, And we will sample that DNA
0: all without (laughs) going to 23andMe or some other service (laughs) for it. Uh, But you're going to have to wait for that. Although, if you don't want to wait for that, if you would rather fast forward to our commentary on the Unquiet Dead, I encourage you right now to go and check the show notes in your podcast app. And it'll give you the exact time code when our commentary on the Unquiet Dead begins. Uh, If you're on YouTube, go ahead, scroll down. Check out the notes right underneath the video. It should also be there, very prominent. Uh, and go ahead and fast forward if that's all you're here for, people in the future. <laughs> that's but,
1: right. That's right. We know we've got the SEO here on the Unquiet Dead, probably, <laughs> uh, in, in the far future,
0: whatever if, SEO is by then. If you're here today, and or um, well, just come with us. Just come with us here in the feedback loop, guys, because that's what we're doing now. Hey, yeah. Feedback Loop listeners, this is it. We're talking about reviews, of course. First thing, go ahead. If you have not done it yet, please review the podcast. Reviews really do help the show about the only thing you could do better than leave a review in either whatever app you're in. Apple Podcasts app is our favorite. Uh, but the only thing you could do better is, of course, sharing this podcast with a friend. That's um, right. You know Somebody who might like Doctor Who, who might like this podcast. Um, go ahead. Let them know we exist. Smash
1: that share button. You don't uh, usually, usually smash share buttons, but smash it, and then smash again for the first person who comes up in the auto-suggested feed.
0: Don't 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 smash them so bad that they go back in history or anything. But do smash it. <laughs> smash
1: it so hard it regenerates. Yeah,
0: do that. Uh, and we are also on socials all over the place. So we are at. Twitter at pull to open sixty three, and the reason I bring up Twitter first right now mm-hmm. is because it is the source of our most recent humoji challenge.
1: Oh my god, it's that time again.
0: Yeah, the humoji okay. challenge is of course when a fan of the show shares with us either through a review or through a Twitter comment or some other comment somewhere on social a Doctor Who story title in the form of an emoji. We really like getting these. We put each and every one of them, by the way, in the pull to open codex. Also check the show notes for that. Uh, There'll be a link and every Mm. single episode that has a title in emoji form will be there with credit. So if you donate one of these, you will be credited for all time as the author of the emoji title for that story. Uh, It's a great way to leave your legacy for the people of the future.
1: That's right. Leave a legacy for the people of Future. future. Leave a legacy for future AI, will, which will be trained on the large language model of the pull-to-open spreadsheet. Uh, clearly, going to be part of uh, LLMs in the future. Uh, so, hi, AI. Um, but really, there's all, there's another impetus to do this, not just immortality, but also the chance to torture me. Uh, yeah. As I have been tortured and traumatized for the entire last week, my failure to get the last Humoji Challenge which was, I will now never forget, Hide. Mm. It was a very simple one. It was a hiding monkey emoji. And I didn't get it because Hide is just, it's not in my worldview. I don't really truly acknowledge it as a Doctor Who story almost. Like, I just, you know, this is the thing with this fandom with like 300 televised stories. Can you remember all of them? Can you honestly say they've skipped over a few
0: I don't think the doctor even remembers all of them <laughs> exactly you know, and that's actually been shown when you like the clockwork robots remember that in deep breath he's just like I don't remember what uh-huh. <laughs> it's a, little, yeah. Yeah, it's
1: it's a guy coming across his old girlfriends way. on the street and they're like we went on a date once uh, uh? <laughs> um, yeah basically that's how the doctor has rules number one the doctor would fail the Humoji challenge himself
0: but Chris Taylor, we're not <laughs> rooting for that here today oh. for today's emoji challenge. Because, yes, that's right. This is the point in the show where I get to torture Chris with descriptions of emojis and he has to guess the episode title. And so. I've not done any prep for that. I'm
1: not like, I, <laughs> smarter minds might, after last week's performance, like go back to the codex and just make sure that I can remember all the, all the story titles in Dr. Hume. I've not done any such thing. I've, I'm opening myself up to sheer embarrassment again. Uh, but here we go. I had a pretty good run for a while. I got midnight. I got gridlock. Um, so, yeah, let's let's see let's see so what we got, got kablam, today. I kablam, as I recall. I got kablam, yes. Yep, you were doing you all right. Didn't even, didn't even have to say the word Amazon.
0: Well, I like your chances on this one, just so you know. <laughs> Okay. Oh, right. But you did last
1: week. <laughs> <I> did. <laughs> all right. Here we go.
0: Here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready.
1: I'm ready. All right. Let's get this over with.
0: Two emojis. Yep. First emoji: woman in witch's hat and staff. Okay. Second emoji: magnifying glass. The witch finders. <laughs> <laughs> oh! oh Boom, out of the oh, gate.
1: My goodness. Wow. I've just. I've just. <laughs> I feel like I should have had a blood pressure monitor on. You would have just seen it sink at that moment. I should've I
0: I really thought about this one. Should I say pointy hat? I probably should have looking back, but it was like it's so clear, like it is the witch's hat emoji. That's like the proper name for it, I believe.
1: Yeah, and pointy pointy hat would just take me to the witch finders anyway and james the First's pointy hat i mean yeah uh no way i wasn't gonna get that one especially as it's one we've been to i feel like those are much easier (laughs) hootmoji challenges uh well thank you for that thank you dalton 1963 uh please listeners come on bring me bring me a hard one bring me a hard one see what you can do to to make me agonize and uh and just uh, remember with gritted teeth throughout the week between podcasts.
0: That's right. Challenge us, or we we'll might be forced to come up with our own, so <laughs> get another batch in here, guys. Good stuff. Thank you, Dalton, 1963, for the last batch. Um, it was good times. And now we have the name for the segment, too, which has been uh, ooh emoji. by that. right, guys, moving on in the feedback loop. You guys on Spotify, you know what I want. You know what I want. I want you guys to rate the show and the episode of the show you're listening to. You can give a star rating, so please go ahead and do that. But in addition to that, we give ratings to the stories, the Doctor Who stories we talk about every week. You guys know that. We give it either a Dalek, which is a good episode, an Ogron, a bad episode, and all the other ones. Viscount Banger, Professor Hader, blah, blah, blah. Those are all be described in detail at the end of the show, but you also get your voice. So if you also check your show notes on Spotify, you can go ahead and give your own rating for the episode we're about to talk about. And when we do, when you do that, we'll talk about the results we get in this very segment. And we have some results to talk about. That's right.
1: The election results are in for the war games. Mm -hmm. And, it is It is not going to be a
0: hung parliament on the war games, I'll tell you that much. It's a landslide victory. Landslide victory for the Viscount Banger for the war games, which, of course, was both of our ratings, which means it puts it among the best of the best of Doctor Who. Almost 70% of the listeners thought it was that, which makes t- total sense. It tracks with the recent poll in Doctor Who magazine, the 2023 poll that put it at the top. Of the yeah, top of the, era. for the first two for the first two doctors indeed. Oh yeah, that was true. Yeah, it
1: was the first yeah. two, wasn't it? Yeah. So yeah, and and you know, the the uh for the follow up, like we've we got no Professor Hades, we've got no Ogrons, but we are uh 17% each for Daleks and fixed points in time. Mm. Which is interesting. Uh the fixed point in time in particular the Dalek just means, you know, a lot of people are like, oh yeah. it's a it's a great episode, but it's not a five bang banger.
0: Which I can um, but, see because you, yeah. know, you we talked about the middle bits, which are a bit repetitive, and there's some lazy yeah. writing with the university scene. And you can, if you fixate on some of that stuff, I can see you not super loving it. Um, though, like we said, I mean, it's it's just so deftly uh, handles that stuff, and mm-hmm. has just so much so much great stuff going on that right. I mean, it's it's you just want to overlook it as a viewer.
1: Yes, but the fixed point in time is sort of the equivalent to spoiling your ballot paper and saying no, this this cannot be rated um uh, and uh also by the way so uh, the rating i gave to marco polo last week which is another thing i've been thinking about throughout the week uh, because pete you were so aggrieved that i I'd came to fixed point of time to marco polo after you gave it a dalek and and there was there were shouts of no and cries of why and and, and <laughs> for shame for shame issuing from the peanut gallery um and yeah, I've been I've been going through the whole week thinking, uh, was I too hard on Marco Polo? Should I have rated it? Like, yeah, and I, I, you know, one one of these days I will go back to those daily motion tele color videos and uh, watch it again and see if see if it exits its fixed point in time because no true fixed point in time is ever actually fixed uh, both on Doctor Who and <laughs> it pulled to open. Um, so, but yeah, 17 percent said that for the war games, which is interesting because. Yeah, I, I can see how you would get that. Like, it's it's just, it's so, it's such a giant, you know, edifice in Doctor Who history. It just is. And, like, you might mm-hmm. find that it drags, but you can't give it a negative rating because it's so important to the show. And, uh, you know, you might you might hate the war game stuff, but love the Time Lords, right? Or vice versa.
0: Right. Yeah, it's hard because it's like, it's a big pivot point for the show mm. that, locks the into a certain direction with the doctor's uh, past, which, you know, they had to do something at some point. Mm. And I could see people just kind of like abstaining. It's like, this is what they did. And, you know, it establishes stuff that went later on. And some people did good stuff and some people did bad stuff, but the, the pivot point, something yeah. that just is. Yeah. Well, thank
1: you. For, thank you folks for helping us evolve our fixed point in time. Uh, nomenclature we do tend to come up with these ratings on the fly so uh, it's, it's really we, good that, that really? it's sort of
0: <laughs> kind do. of
1: emergent okay i do <laughs> i'll correct that i come up with a lot of these ratings on the fly uh but yeah thank you for helping us flesh it out and give create the emergent behavior so somewhere else we've been talking about the war games is
0: youtube YouTube.com slash pull to open is where to find us on YouTube. And it is a great place to leave, as we said earlier, either an emoji title or a comment. We get some great comments on YouTube. And I would love to highlight one of those right now. And it is, of course, on the War Games. And it's from a guy named Thomas Jansen. And Thomas, uh, first he said, nice video. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, But he also uh, is responding... To some of our commentary because here and there we were talking about things and we um, weren't 100% sure of mm-hmm. all the canonicity all the things in Doctor Who that might have related to it so I remember Chris you mentioned that this might be the this is the first time you noticed anyway but potentially the only time a character has internal monologue so right. in the war games it's the War Chief, the, war Chief and, the other time lord yeah and he thinks like could it be as he hears about <laughs> um, the Doctor and, and whatever's going on with the right their, their time travelers, could it be? And but according to Thomas, and we'll have to verify this when we get there is like in the moon base, the Doctor does have an internal monologue, and hmm. it's the only time Thomas has uh, can think of, but that's interesting to know. I've never actually seen the moon base, so
1: yeah, we'll I guess get we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it, but maybe only Time Lords can have internal monologues. And uh, if you're Marco Polo, of course, you you have your diary-based monologue. We found that out last week, mm, um, sure. <laughs> which was sort of internal monologue-ish. Um, but yeah, mm. so far as more we like know, narration, that's it.
0: really,
1: yeah, more like narration. So yeah, th- well, thanks for that, Thomas. But yeah, he has many points in yeah. this in this very expanded comment.
0: So we talked a little bit about a potential sequel to the War Games being if they go back to the planet of the aliens, which was put in a force field by the Time Lords and right. what happened to them after the Time Lords uh, exited.
1: Yeah, the uh, Warlords people who are uh, never named.
0: Yeah. And so apparently Terrence Dix did write a sequel, uh, sort of expanded upon the, what happened in the War Games. And it was in Time Worm Exodus, another thing I never read. Um, mm. So that's obviously with seven Doctor and Ace. Um, I wouldn't mind checking that out.
1: Yeah, it sounds really good. Uh, at everything that he describes here that, that Hitler and the Nazis are there. Uh, the war chief is deformed. He had a botched regeneration, which answers our question about what happened to the war chief. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, son, and yeah, it's it's interesting because Terrence Dix did also do a, a literal sequel. I believe he, he jumped into the whole season 6B controversy and, and created a, a sort of a season 6B himself mm. uh, I believe which was a different novel so this is clearly something that he uh, has, has tried to do in various guises but this, this uh, yeah I didn't know about Time Worm great title and uh, I didn't know that the, the Warlords people are back. I'm really sort of keen to find out if you, if you learn more about this alien race that loves playing war games and why. And, uh, you know, great opportunity to flesh out that history. So looking forward to checking that out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like these, uh, it's like that and like the Celestial Toy Maker, these kind mm-hmm. of like manipulative, powerful aliens with sort of goals of their own. Uh, which
1: involved playing. Yeah. yeah, which involved okay. playing with their their prey uh, for various reasons. And yeah, yeah that, that was definitely my theory during, during the war games was that uh, this isn't actually a race that really wants to conquer the universe. They just want to pretend like they are. So it gives them an excuse for these war games for plucking, you know, uh, antagonistic aliens out of their time streams and setting them to war against each other.
0: Yeah, they're basically ba- like the Time Lords in the Death Zone, just yeah. separate from the Time Lords in the Death Zone. So, Mm-mm. you know, Mm-mm. why not? That's a that's kind of a cool idea. Um, okay, so one last thing he mentioned is that another theory about the War Chief is that he is the master and regenerates into Roger Delgado after this story. And I've heard this before. Mm. Um, and I don't think it's just a fan. I mean, it is just a fan theory. But there was actually this was actually the canon, or at least not the canon, but it was uh, stated as what uh, as essentially fact in the FASA role playing game Doctor Who in the eighties. <laughs> no, huh. uh, it does, it did sort of caveat that with like, hey, if you don't want that to be the thing, then you know, do mm-hmm. your own thing in your campaign. Mm-hmm. Which of course is you know, of course, anyone who plays you know role playing games for a while will, will figure out pretty quickly. Oh, just throw out what you don't like. Uh, in yeah. terms of rules or whatever. Yeah, um, exactly. But it's very Dr. It Hirsch like, that way. <laughs> I get it. And we sort of talked about it at mm. the time. Like They just seem so similar. But I still submit that their motivations seem s- somewhat different. Mm. And that, again, the war chief is more of your businessman Time Lord who kind of wants the feeling of power and has seen these aliens as some way to do that. Uh, whereas mm-hmm. the masters really kind of has his relationship, at least with the doc in, in as it developed, his relationship with the doctor ended up being sort of the most important thing. And he was really more of a psycho. Like he was just much more merciless and seemed to relish his killing in a way mm-hmm. that the war chief, you never really see him do. Like, yes, he's certainly okay with having all these humans fight and have there be sort of mass slaughter to further his his plan but you don't get the sense he's like loving it for that yes. specifically which i think the master i think throughout his run has always sort of been shown to do
1: well it's, it's certainly he doesn't have uh kind of the that the tricks and tools of the master of the delgado master mm-hmm. uh, at his disposal but i kind of like this headcanon and I, I love hearing about all headcanons so i can sort of run it against my own internal headcanon and decide whether to add this or not i kind of like this one because it suggests to me that that's why delgado kind of that's why if if this is the master then the master then goes on to like develop hypnosis to uh to get the i am the master and you will obey me uh a slogan <laughs> which to my mind like that's that, that's what you would do if you had to fight with the security chief day in day out with that right. guy with a really annoying voice and they're constantly in loggerheads throughout the war games and I could just see the master being oh God I'm never going through that again I have to be able to just control people so they don't they don't they're not that tedious and in my face and shouty. Uh, I'm just going to start calling myself the master and people will obey me.
0: Well, and if you wanted to really go with this theory, you could make the case that what happens to him at the end of the war games is the thing that changes him Mm. and makes him obsessed with the doctor and blames the doctor for what happened, particularly since he was so willing to trust him and be friends with him in you know, ruling the galaxy and working against this Warlord race. Um, and then he just gets bitter and resentful. I mean, it's kind of like old school supervillain origin story, you know, yeah. it's better than like, I lost my hair and therefore I hate <laughs> Superman forever. So <laughs> this at least would would sort of justified in some way and that he's yeah. tortured or killed and humiliated by these people and then and hey, away and
1: you could also gone. say tissue compression eliminator might be something he was working on to be like hey you don't need fully sized soldiers to fight these wars for you uh, let me uh, let me work on something that will turn them to actual action figures which may be a little bit more what you're after uh, people who love to play games
0: <laughs> not bad I was actually thinking it's like when he tries to crush the doctor in the side rat he mm. sort of thinks hmm that's not a bad <laughs> idea <Like laughs> just punk- shrunk him down to a pulp or maybe mm-hmm. something even more pretty i could put it on a shelf or say hey,
1: yes like shrinky dings. you've just invented shrinky dings. <laughs> <laughs> i love it well great of thank you and great uh, set of comments uh, from from thomas who did put at the co- part of his comment i don't know if you guys read these comments uh, <laughs> which i think we just proved we do uh yeah. so yeah you you leave us any kind of uh, commentary with lots of lovely juicy headcanon in it we're gonna dive right in to that stuff and uh, praise it to the high heavens. So you too can do that on YouTube. You can also do it on our most active social network which is TikTok.
0: You betcha. We post short videos there all the time. Uh, We've got over 11,000 followers there now which is great and they come out. Oh, do they come out when we we (laughs) cut videos? Uh, We get lots of great (laughs) comments. Come join in. Lots of good discussion. Um, And of course we are always Available on Instagram and Facebook, both at poll to Open 63 So feel free to drop us a line there. All, All right. right. There is a little bit of Doctor Who news to just mention now that we're emerging from the feedback loop. Um, so there has been some casting for yep. season 14. And it has been revealed that Indira Varma, who played Susie in Torchwood, is returning to the franchise, which is not too surprising because obviously she worked with Russell D. Davies at the time. But she is indeed the Duchess. The Duchess. Last time we talked about recent news, which they said that is the villain, I guess, of the episode where they're all done in sort of uh, regal Victorian. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, The early 19th century. Uh, that was the line with with Jonathan Groff
1: there, looking looking handsome, in his uh, Regency suit. Uh, the line was dressed to Impress" and avoid the Duchess or be wary of the Duchess. Beware uh, the Duchess. Yeah. Beware the Duchess. That's it. And the du- that obviously got our got our head cannons tickled about mm. who, who is this Duchess? Now we know it's Indira Vama. We don't know anything else about her, uh, yeah. but that's very interesting. It's also interesting that this should happen uh, right as we are. Uh, seeing our very first member of torchwood in a in a doctor who story <laughs> here on Open, yeah sort of in a roundabout way uh but yeah so susie is back that's great i love enderobom loved her in obi-wan uh she she does a lot of lot of stuff she was in rome uh really really great actor uh, very very excited that she's back in the series
0: Yeah, I feel like Doctor Who, I'm sure the character she's going to play has nothing to do with Susie and Torchwood. Um, uh, But Doctor Who fans just love to do this kind of headcanon of making them somehow related in some other Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the show even picks up on that, right? I mean, the big example, of course, is when they explicitly made Peter Capaldi's character from... Of Pompeii be an inspiration yeah. for the doctor to sort of regenerate into that face, mm-hmm. and they've done it in bits and pieces along. The, I don't know if they've done every single one of these because Doctor Who and certainly British television is can be so <laughs> incestuous. And I think um, you know no one. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if anyone has has there been. I don't know. I guess we'll get there when they get there. But there's the an army of ghosts. They had the the woman who, uh Sorry, it was uh, Freema Agyeman. She was. Right. Uh, she played someone in the Torchwood base, and then, of course, she was cast as the companion in the following right. season. I forget if anyone sort of figured out there was like she was her cousin or something like that, or.
1: It was uh, something sure. like yeah I feel yeah. like they did deal with it the new show has been pretty good about dealing with that uh yeah uh, Gwyneth and the unquiet dad became became Gwen and uh, in in Torchwood and you know we uh, there's well, we'll talk about that shortly but there's a there was an explanation given for that did they uh, in the show
0: the woman in Pompeii looking like Mamie. Um, did that oh did that yeah happen? no oh, no not? i don't think well, and this is great. kind of where i was going with the Susie thing mm. it's like if there's enough of a gap in terms mm. of practical years do you really even need to do much no. uh I, I would say no I, I honestly i would say you never have to do anything like this is just a thing that's kind of fun to mm-hmm. do and if it works it works if it doesn't don't bother yeah um, because the show doesn't will.
1: need to do it because yeah. the fans always will yeah, we totally. will fill in the gaps. And Susie and, uh, was
0: only in like two episodes, so yeah. that's the other thing. Um, so it's like, eh, I guess I or was she in more. I think she was in more stories where there were like alternate histories where she doesn't because, well, I mean, we don't do Torchwood on this podcast. No. So spoiler alert! Yeah, <laughs> she dies in the first episode of Torchwood. <laughs> uh, though they bring her back, they find ways to bring her back. I think yeah. they might have done done it more than once, but um, you know, fun to do. But she was great. In those, time, those those episodes, she's obviously gone on to do a lot of other stuff, um, so good for her. Yeah, absolutely. Well, looking forward to
1: it, as I am looking forward to getting down to this Unquiet Dead discussion, which, which I guess course, we should kick off.
0: Yeah, it always <laughs> begins with a little segment we like to call TLDW, Too Long Didn't Watch, Too Long Doctor Who. Where one of us will summarize the plot of the story in record time, and this week that is one Chris Taylor.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, from from uh, the my last one was was doing the War Games. Right. So I had an amazing five minutes for that, given that we allocate thirty seconds per classic show episode uh I, right. I i had room to stretch out and luxuriate uh here it's a new who story and we allocate one minute for those so i gotta gotta get my skates on
0: one minute um, yeah we have both had room to stretch out because you had war games uh, and then i had a marco polo which was seven uh, episodes uh, so that was three uh, and a half minutes and now we're back to New Who, which we, we've we already said before, it's a big challenge because the mm-hmm. pacing of the newer episodes, there's just a lot more to cram in there and you got to really
1: make choices. Yeah, one minute. I mean, I feel like they, <laughs> I, I could just reel off the number of characters in this story and uh, it would take a minute. Uh, so, all right, let's see. Let's see. I haven't prepped for this. We we fly blind. We don't have any notes uh, when we do this. So I'm. let's just see. It could be could be a disaster
0: let's just um, see let's just see here we go <laughs> the official pull to open commentary no no not commentary <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, let's, that's okay. it we're, we're doing the whole commentary in one minute that's all it right. No, all right official, <laughs> this is it now the official pull to open summary for the unquiet de- get de- get dead, good dad, <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> what's wrong with me? Today? The All dead right. are
1: unquiet. And
0: uh, yes, they are. They're All messing right. us up
1: already. The it's girls happening. are here. Okay. It's
0: happening. This, yes. This summary for the unquiet <laughs> dead is happening in three, two, one, go.
1: Okay, so it's Cardiff in 1869 and, and, and the dead are coming back to life and, and what the hell is happening? The Undertaker doesn't know, but he and his assistant go in search of the dead, uh, and meanwhile uh, Doctor and uh, Rose uh, land in uh, what they think is 1860 Naples, turns out to be 1869, Cardiff and uh, and uh, Charles Dickens is there, and and he, uh, a member of his audience, is is one of the uh, the people who's possessed, and it's it's, it's uh, a race called the Gulf uh, the Doctor discovers after hearing Charles Dickens and, and the Undertaker all, all Get together and there's a seance and exactly. and they, they learn uh, through this woman uh, Gwyneth who has the gift of the sight uh, that Cardiff is on a rift and it's a time rift and the Gelf are trying to come through and and assume corporeal forms so they've been using the dead but now they they want to use all of humanity uh, and they're actually evil so uh, but one thing that happens is they are they are trapped by the natural gas lamps uh, which the uh, the doctor and Charles Dickens eventually figure out how to suck them in to the gas lamps uh, thereby saving the. Earth Earth, uh, from, from the gulf and, and uh, it, oh, Dickens wants to write a book about it but he dies he dies <laughs> he,
0: he
1: dies. doesn't
0: die in the episode They're he just doesn't talk about it So <laughs> he's going Wrong. to die in six months yes, time gout's getting pretty bad yeah. <laughs>
1: yes as is his relationship with his family uh, which he mentions
0: wow okay yeah, good well work. Yeah, thank you you. The, the plant stuff of the gas itself which was pretty crucial even though it's yeah. a little bit forgettable um and
1: <laughs> yeah i'm not 100 on how it works
0: but you get
1: it right yeah. within the context of the story you get it
0: yeah most of the characters in there i forget i don't know if you mentioned his name but uh there's sneed sneed was the undertaker yeah. yes yeah
1: sneed what a great
0: name good great name. Uh, what at one
1: point was going to be played by david tennant
0: oh i didn't know that
1: yeah uh, got mark Gattis actually wrote it for tenant uh he wrote it as a younger man uh and uh, and he knew tenant um mm. but how how wild would that be speaking of the doctor coming up with reasons to assume his new forms if he's just like hmm, mm, new teeth um <laughs>
0: oh hey wait a minute I recognize this face um yeah, yeah. really so is it- <laughs> first off is it Gattis or Gattis? I think it's Gattis, right? Marcus I
1: Lincoln. always say Gattis. Uh, I think that that's how I've heard it pronounced, but I'm sure he won't mind if you yeah. call him Gattis.
0: Well, why, you can do one or the other. <laughs> okay, there um, we go. We'll cover all bases.
1: This is his first of many uh, stories. Say, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's to my mind, it's his best.
0: I'm uh, totally with you. Yeah, The Mm -hmm. Unquiet Dead, it has to do a lot of things, right? So this is series one of New Who. So the series has just come back. This is the third episode. And it's doing a great formula of, okay, first adventure in modern day new companion, new doctor introduced, then it's like, go to the far future, unleash the potential, because the episode previous to this was the end of the world. right? Um, and we'll get there when we get there. We haven't done it for the podcast, but it does a thing, uh, an interesting thing with scaling up the future journey yeah. by going, I, I think, further than the series ever went uh, into billions of years in the future. But then, here, they go back to the past, and they make the sort of better choice i would say of going to some place i guess relatively recent i mean they they decide the 19th century um they have it be uh have a historical figure that everyone knows and sort of tell the story through him in and so they're really kind of trying to uh, reintroduce viewers to the show while also introducing older viewers, people who knew the classic Mm. series to this version of the show so that's kind of what I was like as I watched it this time and I'd I'd obviously seen this a few times before but I was really trying to sort of zero in on how they were establishing what new who is and like consciously doing like not we're not just doing Doctor Who we're doing it for this new audience and with sort of new ways of telling stories yeah Uh, and it's uh,
1: real real uh, milestone in my mind because of the changes that took place during the writing of it, which is that, uh, so it was, it was Russell T Davies idea to have Charles Dickens. Uh, he wanted an episode with Charles Dickens. That's how this started. <clears throat> and he goes to Mark, Mark Gators or Gattus, his <laughs> friend <clears throat> and says, you know, can, can you write this one? And like, we just need Charles Dickens in it. Yeah, and he comes back with voice. what is basically a ghost story at, at Christmas, which is, they did not know at this stage. First of all, that's it, interesting, mm-hmm. isn't it? To, to like, think of a time before they were like no save it for christmas save it for the doctor <laughs> who christmas episode which should have been such a natural thing to do with this given that it's set on christmas eve
0: it is a perfect perfect christmas right. episode but i presumably um, they didn't even know they were going to do christmas episodes
1: no no they did not they did yeah. not and of course they they wouldn't until uh technically beginning of the next season with the christmas mm-hmm. invasion uh, where David Tennant does actually come along, uh, but whatever, there was definitely some sort of fate connecting David Tennant and Christmas episodes, um, and uh, but it was uh, Mark's early scripts, Mr. Carter's early scripts were kind of much more gothic horror, right? Um, yeah, which was not really him, and it was it was very easy uh, if you're in the UK scene, the UK acting slash you know comedy TV scene to say. To Mark Addis, hey, why don't you write a little bit more like League of Gentlemen? Which, uh, if you haven't seen it, and I know a lot of American audiences haven't, it is a comedy, but it's a very dark comedy. It's a very dark situation, comedy situation being this village, this sort of slightly Welsh rural village uh, where... You know, uh, dark things are going on within the village. And it, it's it's perfect for his, that is very much his sensibility. Like he plays this butcher who may or may not be serving human meat. Um, mm. You know, it's very, very yeah. him. And he, so he, but he had this idea that like a huge Doctor Who fan, he, this idea for doing a, a much more of a gothic horror, much more of a right. like a Hinchcliffe era kind of thing and you can still see vestiges of that i mean clearly the scene in the theater with charles dickens is very talons of one chiang right
0: oh yeah very and i gotta say in terms of the horror vibes i mean there's there's enough of them here and i don't think it's Mm. like the gelf and the the effects and stuff which um you know are just sort of actually now pretty dated sort of cgi but when they first like walk into the morgue Mm. I got to say like that was like, you see these feet sticking out from uh, a sheet and those mm-hmm. feet look like a dead person's feet. Like they're yeah. dark and you know, g- gaunt and like screwed up clearly. And, and it was so noticeable. It's right in the foreground that my daughter who's 10 was, was a little like, what what's wrong with the feet? Yeah. You know? It <laughs> was kind of a difficult, like, um, well, it's a dead person and, yeah, like, can happen to your feet, and it's That's what happens. Never mind. <laughs> you know, like That's will, let's move interesting. on. Interesting. What's, what's I'm going to have to
1: go back and watch the feet now. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, but yeah, this is it yeah. definitely, you know, a very, very much a milestone for a lot of reasons. But but let's zero in on that one because the BBC did get complaints about this being too scary, mm. which is kind of when you're when you're doing Doctor Who, you want that, right? You want you want a certain number of parents to write in. You want to sort of uh, crest that borderline. I, I just think it's funny. So it was 2005, you know, which, which seems right. now so long ago. Um, and, uh, they, they <laughs> there's a guardian story on it, uh, that says more than 50 people have so far complained about the show. Although the BBC said the number could rise to as high as hundred when emails were taken into account. So, oh, um, you had a hundred complaints. It's adorable.
0: Um, <laughs> well, I mean, like, who's feeding who? I don't know. I, I, I maybe I'm too skeptical about the press now. Maybe they're reflecting <laughs> yeah. a little bit of 2022 skepticism. But is someone at the BBC feeding stuff, and because of their agenda? I don't know. But yeah, like it's it from today's standard in terms of mm. fans complaining on Twitter or whatever. It's it's nothing. Uh, but yep. back then, like literally writing a letter, yep, like that honestly counts for more than a thousand tweets, I would argue. Indeed. Um, and and the BBC did actually say in response to this that they only
1: recommended Doctor Who for children over eight years old, mm. uh, which is an interesting thing. That I don't believe they've said before. Yeah. Uh, I certainly watched,
0: started watching Doctor Who way before eight. That's um, about when I started, to be honest. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But uh, it's, I'm glad we're keen on this. So, so again, I watch this with my whole family. So my two mm. kids and my my wife, and Grace is very honest. Like she was, she was liked it, but she was scared of mostly of the zombie stuff. Mm. And there's, I, I think the cold open is great. Like th- in this one, where the zombie busts out, and obviously we're not seeing any of the doctor and stuff. But this idea of something very conventional. This is honestly what mm. I love about Doctor Who, and it's I sort of captured a little bit of my first taste of Doctor Who, where mm. I was watching the first episode of Modern Undead. And if you recall, it starts in a very conventional kind of way. It's this boys' school, and these guys are taking the Brigadier's car. And I remember thinking, mm. I was a little sort of intrigued by the getting into troubleness of it, and, you know, Turlow's a troublemaker. And But I, I, I was sort of like, well, wait a minute, I just saw opening credits with stars and stuff. Like, is this... Is this sci-fi or isn't it? And then (laughs) it's like he gets thrown off the road and the Black Guardian stuff happens. Like, oh, now we're in it. Mm. And similar here, you're kind of like, they're just doing this funeral parlor thing. And then something happens. And then it's not just like weirdness. It's like full-on zombie horror um, and ends with the woman possessed by the Gelf like walking all the way to the camera. And you're kind of wondering like, are they going to stop? I think like she almost like swallows the camera. camera, (laughs) Yeah. Like she walks right up to it. And, and and then it's like, boom, they hit credits. I thought it's like, Oh wow, that's great. Like you're you're just kind of almost backing away from the TV at that point. And it, what I thought was a little bit revealing. I know my son's not going to like me talking about this, but he, he was as a 13, he was, he was very like, Oh, that was so scary. Like, but it, it kind of is like that's kind of him, yeah. like uh, like he. I don't think he was literally scared, but it is like he got it on some visceral level. There um, is something
1: about the effects here that was sort of halfway between classic who and new who in a way, right? Yeah. In that there's a little bit of CGI, but also like it's it's mostly analog effects. It's mostly like they they do those sort of swirling smoky things mm, on a back yeah. screen, and they they impose them, they superimpose it over it, and there is. Like, that's almost more scary looking back on it now because it isn't CGI, right? Mm -hmm. It is clearly modern Who, but it's not CGI. So the the practical effects of it, and yeah, the way that her eyes glow, uh, and, uh, I saw that they had like the, in the doctor who confidential, which is wonderful. You see her getting made, the actress getting made up, uh, and, uh, there's, there's a picture of a cat, <laughs> uh, you know, on the, on the makeup mirror, like they were, they were clearly going for that sort of really spooky, like eyes are super reflective. Just that is enough mm. to kind of scare the willies out of you. Um, yeah, but you it's interesting. Have- so so this is also a point I think that brings us into the, the other reason why I think this this is a perfect scene setting for new who and that is the comedy aspect. Mm. The zingy one-liners are here. And I think that comes out of the rewrite. That comes out of RTD saying to Gattis, you know, you, you have permission to go comedy on this. Like let's mm. let's let's have a bit more kind of snappy back and forth. And um you mentioned your son in the Radio Times review of this. Uh, he talks about the, the grace note that made my son laugh the loudest, uh, the reviewer says. Uh, it's when the doctor's curiosity is suddenly pricked by the sound of a scream. And yeah. he says, that's more like it. <laughs> so great. <laughs> Which is such a, it's very true to the doctor, but it's sort of zingier than you would get in the in much of the classic series. And yeah. it definitely speaks to the element that you see throughout this that I think is, is most uh, prevalent when the doctor becomes a... Charles Dickens fanboy,
0: yeah, you know, meeting Charles <laughs>
1: Dickens for the first time, literally including like using the word fan, introducing him to the word, word fan, which and sort of realizing halfway through that it it means fanatic, right? That's where it comes from, and and of course that's going to freak Charles Dickens out. Um,
0: yeah, well, it's funny. Uh, like I love that line too, where it's like that's more like it, and yeah. it's a little hard to discern how much of this is deliberate choices. Cause I think this line is very good for the doctor, but not mm. just any doctor Eccleston's doctor. And I'm not mm. sure how much is choices to either it's RTD or him to do more of a wounded doctor. Who's a little different from the doctors we've seen and yeah. subsequently see, or if it's still kind of just the show figuring itself out. And uh, because I think in hindsight, it's really, really good for Eccleston's doctor because I, th- I think this is really shown throughout this whole episode in that he's he's very clearly like um the the wounded doctor. he's almost like yeah. a wounded. he's quick to lash out at people, both Rose and Charles Dickens, and he catches himself uh, and he still has the humor, but he is he's more of a he's more emotive he's he's just more with this instant reaction, so you sort of contrast mm. that line of that's more like it with him him in later regenerations like being a little more reserved about it but people noticing he's loving being in the thick mm-hmm. of action and being in peril right all the time and he's staying he out of trouble little, badly in a, yeah in other words he gets a little better at hiding it um <laughs> but he's still the same guy and here he's just totally open about it and same with other sort of emotional beats
1: Right. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of we went to the Beast Below, right, and the uh, which is sort of in the se- almost in the same position in Moffat's tenure right of sort of establishing that side of the Doctor, of like you know where where Amy says to him, "Oh, you know, so you you don't interfere unless there's a crying child," and he's like, "Yeah, basically." <laughs> so again, you know, similar to perhaps a bit more, uh, you know, less a bit less alien than mm. just like, "Oh, I'm grinning and running towards the sound of screaming." Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. To so your well, point about this being um, really establishing the wounded post-war doctor that, mm-hmm. that Eccleston is. My goodness, does this sort of re- repay repeated viewing? Like you know, now with the, that we know everything about the Time War. Now that we know what's to come, first of all, I completely forgotten that the Gelf were um, were victims of the Time War. They were right. basically they're basically Time War refugees. That's why they don't have bodies. Yeah, yeah, and. Indeed. It was wasn't it the case like that their entire race like now never existed or they were their bodies were somehow eradicated through all space and time.
0: You know, it's funny. It's, it's not entirely clear. I, I think mm. I take it to mean that it wasn't just a practical. The planet was destroyed. Thing that there's something weird ethereal about the Gelf, mm. and because of the Time War, they were, you know, their existence wasn't just they weren't just annihilated. They were sort of taken out of time or or st- turned into this state mm-hmm. right um it's very I, I don't know maybe there's probably more been written about this on various wikis but, right
1: right do um, do I, do write in and comment below please yeah uh, but, but yeah it's 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 interesting because the, there is this question of like how much was the doctor responsible for that like we're still asking questions about the time war at this stage and like yeah. is he, is well, he dealing with that but then clearly, he, he seems to be like yeah. super guilty about it right yeah, and, exactly. and he's yeah, he needs it at first before the Galthor reveal is evil. He's like, "Yeah, sure, what's the problem? Let them inhab- inhabit corpses."
0: Yeah, different he feels morality. responsible and mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, in hindsight it it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because the doctor's not well, I guess you could argue he's responsible for the time war, but he's not necessarily responsible for that, but I think he feels a certain amount of guilt for just being a time lord. And having been involved, he obviously fought in the Time War. Maybe there was more direct. I mean, he did fight as the War Doctor, right? So mm-hmm. he he was full in it. So there's and how that. Did the
1: Time War begin? Was was he only obeying orders of the <laughs> the Time Lords to destroy the Daleks on Scarro? Yeah,
0: but he, yeah. he didn't though. He, came but out of he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't again, maybe the, th- That's another layer to the guilt, though, mm. of maybe he should have. Yeah. Um. So so there's all that. Uh, Edelson is great again. He's 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 playing the wounded doctor, and his need to make up for this. I mean, when he snaps particularly at Rose, uh. at what he sort of perceives as her primitive or "quote unquote" polite uh, morality of whether yes. or not they should allow the gelf to occupy dead bodies and sort of walk around as quasi zombies. Um, and he he's just like, no, no, no. It's just like recycling. It's going to be okay. And I got to be honest, I'm I'm a little more on the side with Rose. Like uh, that doesn't really that doesn't (laughs) quite. Uh, I don't know. We're just supposed
1: to be okay with our relatives, our dear departed relatives, walking around with uh, aliens inside them. Uh, But yeah, he says it's a different morality. Get used to it or go home. Yeah, which is harsh, man. You can't imagine any other doctor saying that.
0: Well, it's almost to the point where you you wonder why she doesn't just up and leave. Um, Mm. but they, he, Mm. he's, he sort of comes back to both of them, both Charles and Rose in realizing he's gone too far. Like he apologizes to Charles Dickens for snapping at him when he's, he shows justified skepticism. I mean, he's from, Mm -hmm. you know, the 19th century He's going to be all like, what is this? This is poppycock. Right, what have you and, um, and he's
1: also sort of standing in for us i mean it's like an x files moment really as totally. the other way in which the show is setting out its store here it's like establishing that yes we're going to be sciencey, like there will be a sciency explanation for this but you're going to see supernatural things yeah. and charles dickens is almost in the in the position of being the average viewer of like well no no we we need you know logical explanations of this you know if this what? doesn't work my whole life has been
0: ruined, you know. I actually just thought of this. He's yeah. in the role of Professor Hater. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> he kind of is, yeah. Charles I Dickens, nineteenth century Professor Hater, the build
0: and all that. It's, it's basically that. Um, interesting little time flight reference that Love it wasn't a reference. Um, <laughs> but then but yeah. Rose, he he sort of comes back around with her, not necessarily directly about the morality part of it. One, it's a little bit like. Uh, he, he's he been wrong and he's been conned by this point so it's like oh uh, wasn't so such a good idea to invite these guys right. after all but then they're trapped together in the cage and with the zombies outside and he he very warmly tells her that I'm so glad I met you and she says me yeah. too and they sort of, there's, there's some good sort of bonding between the two of them I mean that's obviously sort of the payoff moment but even earlier you were talking about the humor I think there's just so much good banter between the two of them in the TARDIS, which again, I mean, clearly in hindsight, consciously flirtatious.
1: Hmm. Yeah, there is the mildest whiff of romance in this. And I, I, yeah. I do think it is looking backwards, knowing everything that was to come with Tennant. It really is like there's barely any romance at yeah. all, but there's, there's a bit. I it just it seems was, so maybe, minor now, right? I mean,
0: I might, maybe I just have a thing for Billy Piper or something. Yeah. But the way <laughs> she looks at him in various places, mm-hmm. it's very like, you know, especially when she says better with two. Better with two. About. That yeah, and this is like, a good a scene life. too, because yeah. again, it sort of reintroduces the idea, and I don't know if it's ever been better expressed in Doctor Who, the mm. idea of going to the past. And she describes it, and this is obviously Gates writing, so credit to him. um But she talks about there's a moment that happens. you would say, you know, uh, eighteen seventy sixty nine or whatever it is, and it never happens again, except Sorry, for you
1: here's for the youtube viewers here's a moment that is happening (laughs) Uh, yeah yeah we got the the little extra eggs on youtube there we go i've I've been waiting to use this all show i have a little little moment that's
0: a randomizer Um, it's a (laughs) six-sided randomizer when we get down to six (laughs) episodes we'll we'll use that
1: it's literally Um, the moment which brings us to rose and the the fact that the bad wolf reference mm, is used in here yeah yeah, there's so many interesting directions to go here because it does establish so much. It it really is, it's not a first mention of the Bad Wolf season arc, right? But it's definitely the uh, fact yes. that Gwyneth sees did, it in Rose. I think, it was Rose. In, I think it she was sees it. something about that. the Bad Wolf. But it's a perfect, yeah. you know, sort of, you know, mention of the season arc. Throw that in there. Obviously, it establishes <coughs> that Cardiff is on a time rift. Uh, and, you know, that will have so much more importance. Going forward,
0: uh, and uh, it also yeah, establishes it, Eve Miles as a member of the Doctor Who slash Torchwood family. It does. Eve Miles did such a good
1: job as Gwyneth, the maid in this, who can see forward in time in a very spooky way. Uh, as uh, you know, she did such a good job here that that she was a natural to come back as uh, Gwen.
0: like we were just talking about in the pre-show about indira varma coming back to the show and will they do some kind of connection with susie i kind of hope they don't but we'll see and Mm. but here they later explicitly made that connection in journey's end yes where i don't know if that was just to explain it away like in that like, like they think people would. If you only watch Doctor Who, you would think, "Hey, it's the girl from the right. Quiet Dead." Hey. Uh, so you, they had to explain it because it's it's really kind of like ex, almost an extraneous moment there. Hey, did you have? Are you from Cardiff or you know, you have an old? Family? But it's
1: it's the kind of thing that that RTD does very well with a single line. We've talked about this on the show before. He he does sort of answer these questions a little bit in our head more than any other show runner. But also, it was a point where. The Doctor, Rose, and Gwen are together for the first time, so it feels like that's a natural moment to to bring up that question.
0: Right? Why right.
1: does she look so much like the maid from *The Unquiet Dead*? Like Rose would think that, the Doctor would think that, you know. Uh, it, it just it it's it's a gimme, you know. A natural, natural line to drop in there. And I'm so glad so that it R2 does, did you it.
0: kind of wonder. I guess maybe they explained this in the journey's end line. I can't remember. Mm-hmm but she's so young in this episode and she's yeah. so clearly like she I, I doesn't have a family yet. Yeah. Uh, is it, is it that she's sort of related from a different relative or I
1: think what they say is that she's not related, but it's something to do with the time rift that her face is sort of imprinted basically mm. on, on Gwen Cooper. Um, so yeah, if you want to look like people from the past, go to Cardiff, hang out <laughs> in Cardiff on the time rift long enough mm. And you will retroactively have your face be that of someone from the 19th century in Cardiff. I don't. I'm not sure if that's exactly how it works. But yeah, you know, to, to the point about comedy, like uh, she and the uh, the Undertaker Sneed have those have these wonderful comedy moments. Uh, well, Sneed, by the way, has the best comedy Welsh accent in Doctor Who since the Green Death
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> He doesn't say Boyle at any point, does he? He doesn't say Boyle,
1: but he does say the stiffs are getting lively uh, which is <laughs> <He> wonderful <does. laughs> He just has w- such a wonderful approach You see it often in Doctor Who, it's kind of a science fiction trope of, like the guy who's just trying to cover it up because it's bad for business if people know about the ghosts or the aliens or whatever, He's he's mm. so like that and uh, but he takes such glee, and it. it's like in his oh, the stiffs are getting lively, time to go body snatching. Um, wonderful, wonderful acting. Uh, a great comedic actor for, for the
0: role of Sneed. You can't imagine David Tennant doing it like that, right? Uh, it's smart. Yeah. But you kind of, you kind of, even by the way he talks, you're almost yeah. dismissive of him at first, but then you realize he's he's kind of quite diabolical, right? Like, he's <laughs> he's got a whole go to plan for getting these loose zombies. <laughs> and it involves carrying around chloroform, apparently. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, that, so I don't think Chloroform's
0: Rose, yeah. nosy insiders, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think Rose is the first person to get drugged <laughs> and, <laughs> on this uh zombie hunt that he apparently does every now and then <laughs> yeah.
1: i love it i love and and the fact that the girls wanted to go and see charles dickens which i think is is wonderful right uh, why wouldn't you <laughs> you know you you're visiting you're visiting this world for the first time Why not go and see one of their greatest living writers uh but okay is it time can, can we talk about charles dickens now
0: Let's talk about Charles Dickens. Are we going to go to the corner? Chris's Let's history. go to the
1: corner. It's history corner, but with with a, a brief intro, introduction, which is, of course, we have to say that Simon Callow is possibly one of, one of the greatest actors ever to grace Doctor Who. He is 100%. extraordinary. Yeah. And he, uh, he was the perfect for this role. He really is. He's inhabited Charles Dickens before. He's done it on the BBC many times. He's very familiar with Charles Dickens. Uh, and the only reason that he did this, like he was a big movie star by this point, you know, Four, four Weddings and a Funeral really, really established him uh, internationally and, and showed what he could do with that wonderful plummy voice. Um and, uh, it, and it was just the fact that Gattis was a Dickens fan as well mm. and really just sort of like threw in these great references he was afraid that Dickens was just going to look like some sort of cookie cutter 19th century author but they throw in things about his social activism they throw in the, mm. the trouble he had with his family and the, the fact that he was always on tour and exhausted by it well, and, apparently uh, and, I, and the fact that yeah. little Nell's death is actually quite hilarious because it's so over the top
0: so I'm I'm not a big Dickens fan. Not that I'm a non fan, but I don't really just mm. know much about him and haven't read read his works. Um, certainly know of him, but as I understand it, he he was really his health was really bad. Yeah, late in his life, and honestly, like I, I understand that the depiction here is kind of generous. <laughs> you know, like he doesn't yeah. have really gray hair. Yeah, um, but it is he, he he. The thing is, though, Simon Cowell is so good. That especially in that initial scene, like he just establishes where this guy is in his life, and such great lines. Even I mean, even Mm. even as a writer uh, who thinks he can't really do it anymore, he doesn't really have it anymore. He's still able to say things like, "Maybe I'll I've oh god I'm going to butcher the line, but Mm -hmm. I've thought everything I'll ever think like something like that."
1: Yeah. And, and the stage like, hand is like, oh, you can, you can think up something new, Mr. Yeah. Dickens, you know, it's, it's okay.
0: Dejected lines like, oh no, the show must yeah. go on, but I'm done. <laughs> and he's performing
1: a Christmas carol, which is of course yeah. what, what Dickens would be called on to perform on again and again. And he would do exactly what he does here, which he really puts his all into the performance. Mm. And you can see the audience is so in it and so wrapped and, and Dickens has them in the palm of his hands. Uh, which is when he gets upstaged by the Gelf,
0: damn hecklers. Um, I got to say, I love love that bit. Uh, This might be a personal thing for me, just because I did see uh, basically someone doing Dickens in Mm. the sense of doing what he's doing here and narrating a Christmas carol Mm. just by voice and hand gestures and a couple of very minor practical effects on stage. But it was literally like this exact idea. Yeah. At, a, at a fringe festival in, in Canada once and I was just always just so taken aback by how much I liked it like it was just wow yeah. that was really great like, like this idea of just sort of narrating a story kind of a lost art
1: yeah, it really is, and Dickens was was a master at it. I mean, it really is. You you have to have a, an actor of Simon Callow's calibre mm. to portray just just how just how amazing his stage presence was, by all accounts. And it's so sad that he you know died before the era where we could have a recording of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but he was just extraordinary, and mostly tireless. He he would often just leave it all on the stage. Um, <clears throat> if you don't know about Dickens, here's what I recommend: read. Uh, there's a new book by Nick Hornby called Dickens and Prince. Mm-hmm. Which uh, finds a, a surprising amount of connections between, uh, you know, the the music star Prince and and Dickens. And one of the things that, that really connected them is how how good their live performances were. You know, they could just come up with something creative on the fly, and you really need to see them live. Um, I'd also recommend if you're going to read one Dickens, read David Copperfield. That's that's all I've done. That's the only Dickens I've finished <laughs> uh, because it is kind of his life story. Uh, it's the closest one to his life story. And there's a great Armando and Iannucci movie made recently of that. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing. We do now actually know. So The Unquiet Dead is set on December the 24th, 1869, the last Christmas Eve that Dickens would ever experience. Now, uh, the show gets a number of things wrong historically. First of all, he would not have said on with the motley which is a great line, but it's from actually from an 1890s opera. Uh, so that's oh, uh, okay. later. <laughs> it's it's anachronistic, which Mark is you know, you wouldn't normally think of. Or um, perhaps
0: but- implies a prequel.
1: <laughs> a prequel, <laughs> yes, perhaps he gave.
0: Yeah. No, the doctor gave- would say that line in front of him <laughs> at an earlier
1: time. Yes. Mm, yes. Um, but it's uh, – so what is interesting is we now know – we did not know I, – I think we didn't know at the time where where Dickens was for this Christmas. Um, mm. But we, we do – since this was screened in 2015, in 2019, some letters came to light that revealed where Charles Dickens actually was. Oh now, he, he was not – uh, at his mistresses, which is so, this is the family trouble that he keeps referencing. Right. Charles Dickens famously died in 1870 in the arms of his mistress, and they had to kind of hush it up, and they had to kind of say that he died at home, and it was a little bit of a scandal. Um,
0: right. I heard so, about this and some. Yeah. Sort of, uh, I mean, despicable things he did to sort of get out of his uh, out of his marriage, or tried to mm-hmm. anyway. Um, which might have but been maybe he, anyway. anyway. Anyway, go on. So he was actually at home
1: with his family, uh, in Kent. And, uh, we know this because his tour manager, uh, Mr. Dolby, uh, who did not blind him with science, uh, sent him a turkey, a 30 pound Turkey. Oh, wow. Uh, from the manager of his reading tours, uh, from days. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. Um, but it got lost the turkey got lost and dickens literally sends his manager uh, an all caps telegram okay. <laughs> which is you know <laughs> reads reads like a mean tweet where is that turkey question mark it has not arrived and then like 10 exclamation marks um oh, and what no. had happened what had happened was that the turkey uh, had been delivered in a horse box by the great western railway and the horse box had caught fire <sighs> Oh, yeah, poor
0: turkey. The well, poor I guess turkey didn't have a, a great life anyway. But it, <laughs> it uh, was... <laughs> might have been a little quicker. Uh, it might way. have been. Well, uh, luckily uh, Dickens was
1: uh, glad to find out that it had been uh, the the charred bits of the turkey had been <laughs> given away to locals. Like <laughs> <laughs> he did actually end up feeding urchins with that's his last Christmas tasty. turkey. And it's a smoky flavor. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the idea. That there's some Tiny Tim hobbling along, going, right. oh, "Oh, give us a bit of turkey, Gavner." <laughs> I haven't, I haven't had a bit, bit of singed blackened Turkey. It great. Um, so then he writes, uh, apparently great Western railway wrote to him and be like, it wrote to all of the passengers who had, or, you know, people who had right. stuff in this horse box, by the way, the fact that it's a horse box makes me wonder if the master was involved somehow.
0: Right. Oh But
1: wow. <laughs> so there's a little bit more for your head cannon there. Um, but he writes back saying that, you know, it's, it's all good. And, uh, I didn't, uh, you know, don't worry about the compensation and I bore it in good humor. Um, but he, yeah, so he writes this the following uh, February uh, and we still have that letter. That letter right. uh, it came to light in the York Railway Museum in 2019. Uh, it's extraordinary. So yeah, that is the true story of Dickens's right. Christmas Eve in 1869. little less exciting than fighting the Guelph.
0: Uh, feels like it might be an impersonator. I don't think a writer of Charles Dickens' <laughs> caliber would use that many exclamation marks. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, I think this story still tracks somebody else who was waiting for that turkey. Maybe, maybe the wife had had to write. He had a mistress. Hey. yeah, I, I don't
1: know. I love the idea that he's in the Telegraph office and they're like, "How many exclamation marks, Mister Dickens?" Um, yeah. I also well, I like that he says what the Shakespeare. Uh, at one point <laughs> yeah. instead of what the dickens did you know that what the dickens does not actually refer to dickens and that in fact shakespeare used it oh wow it's in the merry wives of windsor what the dickens dickens was a name for the devil
0: oh interesting yeah what the dickens so charles what dickens
1: dickens it's not him mm, perhaps it's a dickens or... with, a, with a small d yeah, i guess yeah. uh yeah referring to the devil so interesting but i I love the line what the shakespeare (laughs) it would be nice if when we went to the shakespeare code that you know uh shakespeare would (laughs) would would reuse what the dickens and the doctor be like hang on (laughs) like they're talking to each other across time um yeah it's
0: yeah
1: i was gonna say it's such a risk that they took here to put charles dickens on because they don't often they hadn't done that a lot in the classic series right put charles dickens in or just well, no no i mean in? the actual historical figures like they were more talked right. about than than visited uh, perhaps yeah. with the Exception of George Stevenson in uh, in the Ronnie's uh, opening adventure, which we've been to,
0: right? Uh, or H.G. Wells is Herbert yeah. in Time Lash, and there's probably a couple other examples that are exciting. But you're right, yeah. Usually they would go to a place like um, The Visitation in like uh, mm. 1666 or something, and and it would just be sort of historical events he would be intersecting with, not necessarily right. historical figures. Though it is funny, we just came from Marco Polo. Hello, yeah. connections randomizers, making <laughs> yeah, right. to sort of establish that uh, that it was it was something they they had done ever since the beginning, and this sort of mm-hmm. reinvigorates that. Um, I got to say, the the speaking of re, being reinvigorated, I think that the final bit with him is is such a good sort of feel good scene where mm. he's he's from his experiences now he's dropped his skepticism he wants to finish his book with some supernatural elements. Right, and that
1: being the mystery of Edwin Drew to the book that was famously incomplete.
0: Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad they didn't just leave it there and they kept the scene going. And there's mm. the bit where he asks the doctor, like, do my 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 books, do they endure? Mm. And how long? And he says, forever. And it's just this great moment. And honestly, I was reminded of Vincent and the doctor, right? Yeah. And here it is. I kind of forgot this happened. like it happened five years early. yeah uh, yeah and- Vincent
1: Vincent gets a trip out of it. The Dickens doesn't get to go to like the Dickens Museum or anything. <laughs> right. uh, he's just I mean even with um, oh gosh, he does it with Agatha Christie, right in the uh, the, the unicorn and the wasp. Oh that's uh, true. He doesn't yeah. he take her onto the tardis and like show her her books from the future?
0: Does he? Uh, I remember that one actually.
1: Or is he just saying that to Donna? I don't yeah. remember, but he does seem to have this sort of varying level of like therapy for famous writers, <laughs> famous yeah, artists. And
0: sort of, when is it okay? Cause you would sort yeah. of think from a time travel perspective, no, we can't sort mm-hmm. of reveal things about the future. There should be some sort of, you know, like in the, to use a Star Trek term, a temporal prime directive, almost, <laughs> that, you know, which, which they kind of had earlier on, like the, with the Aztecs, right. That's yeah. like, the, the historical that sort of establishes or at least tries to say like uh-huh. you can't or slash shouldn't try to change history. Um, but here he, he seems much more comfortable with it. I think in this case, it's sort of uh, it's at least implied he's doing it because he knows he's not going to live much longer and it uh-huh. really doesn't make a lot of difference. And why not have him know and feel good about himself? Yeah. Uh, and then you have that beautiful final line which is so good that God bless us. Everyone again, like Christmas special <laughs> all over the place here. I uh, know. And they just threw
1: it up in, in not Christmas. I think this was, was a screen in October or thereabouts? Like it was yeah. just, yeah, it's just another episode. Uh, very, very weird and very interesting and, and kind
0: of the missing Christmas episode in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, they, they do a good yeah. job because they even light him differently in that final scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, he looks, he really does look reinvigorated, and younger, I really like the bit where Rose just gives him a peck on the cheek, and he thinks, "Oh, yeah. wow. like I'm oh, very oh, modern." Yeah. And also, like Rose, um, I think very deliberately is dressed a little bit provocatively, yes. um, even though she's sort of in semi-period-appropriate garb. And right. this is the thing I want—I want, definitely want to talk about Billy Piper and oh, sure. how good she is. I mean, I, you kind of forget how good she is, right? Because mm-hmm. she's so effortlessly relatable. Yeah. Like This is like her thing. She's just very um, vivacious. She's really just this young person living her life and has this infectious energy to mm. her. And that's just it, it just exudes in her performance. But she's also really, really good. Like that bit when, when she gets um, uh, upset that Gwyneth is about to sacrifice herself mm. and, you know, she just comes in. No, you can't. I mean, like I believe every word. I believe every emotion that that she's feeling. Like she, you're just so into that character. You get her, and it's really earned by that earlier scene where they're basically being girls with each other, yeah. talking about their lives. And uh, it's it's a beautiful scene because it's, it, it has they give it time, right? They relate to each other. And yes, there's some plot going on there in establishing uh, Gwyneth's power toward yeah. the end of it and like but her read on rose is so good and her sort of you know wonder about like this sort of future world that she's seen yeah. is also sort of unlocking the show a bit yes you know? which it, it is it's, yeah. it's
1: also the first mention of rose's dad being having died right uh, yeah. even though that's will... strongly
0: implied earlier yeah, right? yeah. you know even in, in the original episode but yeah like you you get there's going to be more to this that's going um, to get explored. And of course it does with like father's day and even the, the, the second season. Um, yeah. G-
1: uh, Gwyneth has this great line about, about the future that Rose inhabits, with all the metal boxes hurling around and all the noise. Yeah. Uh, the city very much put me in mind to, of uh, Alan Moore's uh, from hell, uh, which was, was done as a, a terrible movie, but it's a much better graphic novel where there is a whole speech towards the end uh, where the, the the guy who is Jack the Ripper basically time travels to the future and sees our world for a little bit right. through the sort of mystical energy of all these murders that he's perpetrated and really takes us to task for like, you know, <laughs> sleepwalking through our lives in this amazing miraculous future, which is kind of what Gwyneth is doing here. It's a wonderful, wonderful scene.
0: Oh, it's great. And I honestly feel like if this were, say, a novel or even a big finish, mm. you she might have been a companion right cuz yeah. like i like that she's almost seeing the show through rose's eyes mm. and is sort of scared by it but you could easily see that sort of getting uh altered through an adventure and then she's sort of intrigued by it and then joins them on their on their journey having had mm. that taste sort of foreshadowing that that uh that that development so
1: yeah. There's also a little bit of uh, education for kids in there as well, right? Uh, just like with Marco Polo, where you, you learn that someone of, of Gwyneth's, you know, age and stature and, and where where we were in the world at that time, right. that, you know, one one oh d- oh, yeah, I went to school. Yeah, every Sunday. Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of level of like, oh, my goodness, this is such a contrast. And if you look at this, it's so amazing that we went straight here from Marco Polo, because you can contrast this with... Susan and Ping Cho. Yes. Right? Which is, they're trying to be relatable. They're sort of trying to be teens together. It doesn't quite work Mm. in that instance. You don't quite believe it. But you totally believe it here, especially when Rose, by the way, Rose, (laughs) you were doing so well, and then you like fail the Bechdel test right at the end. Start talking about, oh, do, do you like any boys then? You know. Um
0: <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, so rose and it's so rose, again, it really it, works. It does that education aspect to it mm-hmm. of the different eras where girls talking about boys today is totally different, but girls talking about boys oh to yeah. strangers anyway, then yes, you could admire yeah. their smile. Uh, you might not want to do that so much about other <laughs> physical attributes, at least not right. To uh, at least not out loud.
1: Yeah, showing the prudishness in in that scene is wonderful. Mm. Wonderful econ- economy of dialogue, really super relatable. I think you're absolutely right. It really showcases how well Billy Piper was doing, and what was a very difficult time for her. She was going through a high profile breakup with right. the, the DJ Chris Evans. A very very famous British celebrity, and this this was kind of her her way of of zoning out of that and yeah, into something. And she, was, uh, she
0: was obviously already a pop star, but then yeah. she this sort of brought another dimension to that fame. And now she was like in mm. everyone's home every week, and also getting international recognition. Um, yeah, so, so yeah. kind of surprised she's doing so well today.
1: <laughs> <I assume. laughs> Quick plug, by the way, if you haven't seen it for I Hate Susie. Uh, still available on Max, uh, which is really sort of semi-autobiographical dark comedy starring Billy Piper, um, in which she sort of has this past where she was a famous character in a science fiction series. Mm. Uh, and they do play with a lot of that and the way that she gets treated because of it. Nice. Um, but yeah, it yeah, definitely harkens back to this time.
0: So uh, it, but yeah, It yeah. wouldn't be a Mark Gatus episode if I didn't have problems with the plot. <laughs> and I've got two. Uh, that okay. really stick out to me. It stuck out to me more this time, obviously, because I've seen this a bunch of times. But mm. um, okay. Number one, the Gelf, uh, gotta say Gelf or Gelf. I don't know what it is. The Gelf. Uh, Gelf Alpha Charlie. Um, <laughs> so the they're I gotta say they're pretty bad uh at timing, which is to say If you're going to unmask yourselves as evil spirits when you've conned everybody into Hmm. thinking you're good, maybe do that after you have completely the upper hand on all the folks that you've conned. Because basically they say they, they get intoxicated, I guess, with the fact that they've come through the rift and they just suddenly decide that they're evil, but they haven't even really possessed anyone. Any any bodies, right? And that this mm. is the morgue. And then it, it takes them a couple minutes for all those bodies to get up. And I think there's only one that sort of gets up and kills Sneed. But even that is like from a practical sort of action standpoint, doesn't make sense because you think he would have had time to, mm. to to, stop that. But it's like like, why not wait until the room is full of zombies? Because remember, the doctor's totally okay with that. It's like, oh, they're <laughs> just we the fine. Have them like within arm's length of all of our characters and then unmask yourselves because you've Mm -hmm. just grabbed everybody and are like breaking their necks. Like, wouldn't that make more sense? It would make more sense, but
1: I can also believe that the Gelf are kind of botching this uh, because they're they're really like, they're they're traumatized themselves, Pete. Mm -hmm. They, They are, you know, refugees who had their bodies ripped from them by the time war. I mean, it's really not surprising and not their fault if they can't put a good evil plot together. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, I I really thought like when they introduced the time war element, I was like almost expected us to cut to the doctor and be like, oh oh oh, oh okay, uh, yeah. uh, you know, <clears throat> and sort of acting like uh, you know. Sort of acting like uh, Americans do whenever you talk about the first Thanksgiving uh, and, and delve any deeper into it. Uh, I don't think we really want to talk about that. Um, yeah, yeah, so so I can believe that. Okay, but but go ahead with the other Netflix,
0: Well, I guess I guess I would say from that one, yeah. I mean, if they're just suddenly like, oh, we're, like now you can't do anything about it, and we're just super, mm. super confident, I guess. You know, I, I, I'm i more willing to forgive that one. The other one I don't really like so much, though, because I think it's actually a bit of a cop out for the story. It's uh-huh. the end where the doctor says to Rose after he gets out of the, the house that's just blown up. Oh, Gwyneth was already dead. I couldn't do anything about it. Uh-huh. It doesn't really make sense because she's still a character. She's still talking to him. You know, like it, she's clearly not already dead. I mean, somewhat, who are you talking to then? And it also doesn't make sense from the Gelt's perspective. Cause it's like, well, if she's just a corpse now hanging in the, the gateway, like, what is she even there for? Like, why not just oh, cast man. her aside if you've already come through? Cause she, she even says I'm, I can hold them here. And she, she lights the match. Like, it's not like nobody did that. She's clearly there. And I, so I, I just think this is sort of clumsy writing to accommodate a moral outcome which is that oh it's okay that the doctor ran away and didn't save her because she was already dead i think you could have written that better without saying that you could basically have just said like she was as good as dead or there was no way Mm -hmm. she could have left without unleashing the gelf everywhere and that wouldn't have that wouldn't have worked like in other words the doctor wanted Mm -hmm. to do it there was just no practical reason there's no practical way to do it and there's kind of no point in him dying too so or
1: or this is rule number one
0: Uh, And the
1: doctor is lying to make things easier on Rose, to make Rose handle her new friend's death a little better. And maybe he got used to doing that during the Time War, uh, lying a little bit. And and he does, like, we do see it again here with, with like, he's... You know, when uh, Charles Dickens is on screen at the end of the, and and the doctor's telling Rose, oh yeah, unfortunately he dies the next year. He'll never have a chance to finish that book, which did put me in mind, speaking of places we've been recently, the War Games, and, you know, the doctor turning away from Jamie and Zoe after talking about, oh yeah, well, well, surely we'll meet again, whatever, we'll have, you know, We'll have a great reunion. And he's like, oh, they won't remember this, will they? So we know that the Doctor yeah. likes to smooth things over with his companions. And I, I, I can see this as an example of him doing that with Rose. Uh, not bad. Just reassuring her in some way. And also perhaps he feels a little bit guilty for, for sort of imposing this you know, alternative morality on Rose of like, yeah, why, why not let the girls inhabit your dead?
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I apply that. That's good. I feel a little mm-hmm. better about it now. Oh you're, you you welcome. <laughs> happy I mean, happy also, to help. This is also therapy for me by the way.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. Dr Who Dr Who therapy just as the doctor does therapy for old writers. Uh we we're, we're happy to do therapy for you, the Doctor Who fans with holes in your head cannon on the show. Um
0: Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll do it especially, yeah. especially if you have <laughs> questions.
1: Oh, yes, we do.
0: And we have some questions to answer ourselves. And those are, of course, the four questions to doomsday. First question: why did the randomizer take us here? So
1: well, it's we've got so many answers to this already, yeah. but I'm gonna add one more: the boot in the snow.
0: Oh. Uh, The boot
1: in the snow, that's how Marco Polo opens. And it's sort of how this opens as well, in terms of like Rose takes that first step into what she thinks is 1860, right? She she takes a very deliberate step. We don't often see that. I don't know if we've ever seen it before or since, of like the companion, like, oh my God, I'm stepping into the past here, Like, just and feeling her really focusing on her, her boot in the snow. You know, and Mm -hmm. that's feeling the crunch of it. I yeah. love that moment. a great moment. Great choice by, we should remember the direct, uh, the director, you rush Lynn, uh, Welsh director. He went on to do many great things with uh, game of Thrones. He, he really had a stellar career after directing for Dr. Who. So good choice there to, to really focus on that boot and definitely takes us back to Marco Polo. But other than that, I mean, yes, first, first true historical, the first history based, uh, you know, compare and contrast Rose and Susan, you know, being relatable with teens, uh marco polo and dickens and the different way that the show treated them and we talked last week about how it could have treated marco polo a lot better and now we know that maybe you know the marco polo really got shortchanged by the doctor he didn't get to have a moment of like doctor will my words survive how long (laughs) for should i
0: exaggerate (laughs) (laughs) more in my
1: (laughs) (laughs) will my name perhaps be one day used for a swimming pool game (laughs) <laughs> the doctor takes well, him to a pool in the future
0: <laughs> <laughs> and like you know he just he's just face palming at the pool it's like, Isn't it great? kids everywhere know your name marco hello oh, oh, my- okay yeah thank you thank you very much oh my god this is like a perfect sketch
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes vincent and the doctor but take all of the emotion out of it
0: <laughs> oh that'd be awesome okay um, I My connection is one that we already talked about, which is the Ping Cho Susan, uh, mm. and Rose, Gwyneth connections. So yeah. but I think these are both examples of why the doctor needs companions. And mm-hmm. it's that they're actually good at talking to people. Yep. <laughs> you know, like they can really establish those connections, um, which in some cases in Marco Polo worked against them. But um, generally, I think was a good thing. That you you embed yourselves into these groups and like you know we've seen definitely in other places where the doctors particularly with Capaldi really bad at being talking (laughs) to humans. Yep. Um. So yeah, I like I like this dimension that they can sort of connect better and uh, really kind of get get the crowd that they're dealing with a little more on the side of our heroes.
1: Yeah. And I say there's there's one more thing which is we know that the randomizer loves taking us to. Tardis friendly, Tardis, you know, heavy episodes, and this is kind of what is kind of a low key big episode for the Tardis because mm. it does establish for the first time in the new show that Tardis gets it wrong. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, we 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 now Nine know post. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we now know po- uh, Naples. You know, Cardiff rather than Naples. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is that great scene? i like, oh, I got it wrong.
0: 86. Well, by the way, I don't care. I, yeah. I didn't quite get why there's a, a weird look of concern on Rose's face, or there's sort of a beat after he says it's Cardiff. It's Cardiff. <laughs> yeah, but it's is. like, is it just that Cardiff is kind of a backwater? Is that that yeah. what I'm supposed to discern from that? Yes. So <laughs> okay. this is
1: classic, classic British humor. You know that you just you uh, you would read that automatically as a British person because it's everywhere on the BBC. It's such a setup for any joke. Is like you you know contrast the exotic name of somewhere like Naples with like somewhere like Scunthorpe or you know you just <laughs> throw in that kind of ultra mundane like uh, Slough, Reading, Peterborough, um, and Cardiff would definitely read
0: in that in that. Kind of list <laughs> from where I grew up, it'd be like, Oh, it's not Edmonton, it's Red Deer. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, okay.
1: yeah, Naples would definitely be seen as exotic, Cardiff, not so much. Um, but yeah, so, so this is low key TARDIS heavy, uh, and, uh, you know, you do uh you know there's the whole thing of the uh, charles dickens getting to see the tardis disappear that's really played up yeah. uh he isn't quite a companion isn't quite invited in but you know uh, he does ask questions about it as uh george stevenson did mm-hmm. uh low those many episodes ago when we oh, uh yeah the Rani.
0: Mm-hmm. by the way not to get on too many tangents in one question but there's the <laughs> bit at the beginning where uh, this is something I, I like about this is a little detail. It's kind of a detail where the TARDIS is rocking around while they're mo- while while it's about to materialize, mm. and then they actually like they cut to them on the floor. Yes, and I think it's basically again showing this is new Who and that it's a little more. Um, it's a little more dangerous, you know, it's yeah. a little more like, like this time travel is kind of hard and you're going to get knocked around. And it's yes. just, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster every week. And cause it's clearly a deliberate choice. Like why else other would you would, you would do that? Uh, yes.
1: Yeah. I feel like the, the randomized also, by the way, uh, pays attention to doctor who confidentials because the doctor who confidential for this is all about the TARDIS. Uh, mm-hmm. And we do get a little tour. And one of the things they show us in this tour is I think something that we see for the first time uh, in this in The Unquiet Dead, which is that there is a hammer attached to the console Mm. that the doctor uses to just sort of bash circuit boards like when it that's his primary tardis tool it's gone wrong hit it with a hammer (laughs) i mean this is we are so far from like but but also connected to like the marco polo of the tardis breaking down right and uh you know the faults the fault indicator lighting up (laughs) the, the fault locator as we said last week must have died at some point uh, it's the most ironic <laughs> TARDIS <laughs> breakdown ever. Uh, but yeah, he's hitting it with a hammer. They're holding on with both hands. Like they're really established that the TARDIS is hard to fly and kind of <laughs> kind of hits hits the you know, it's a very bumpy landing. And yet he doesn't regenerate. Interesting. Doesn't hit his end on the console. Crazy.
0: Yeah. Well, you had two people this time. I mean, oh, wait, I guess there wasn't that one. I mean, you need six people to pilot the TARDIS.
1: Yeah, there we go. Uh, Mel just wasn't as good as it. I I think that's what we're we're discovering here. Mel is no rose when it comes to piloting the TARDIS.
0: All right, we got to hit something else over the head with a hammer, unfortunately, right now. (laughs) Because the next question is, what if the evil plot had succeeded?
1: So the evil plot is the Gelf. Uh-huh. That's yes. Right. And their evil plot is to kill us all and take our corpses.
0: Um. Yeah, that's it. All right, done. Next question. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no. I guess it depends on how
1: many gulf there are, right? We well, don't there's a know. ton,
0: right? So yeah. interestingly enough, I did listen to the commentary on this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't watch mm-hmm. the confidential, but I listened to the commentary. And there was, in some draft of Gatiss's, a scene where they would, this might've been a, a Davies ad at some point, but there was going to be a scene where they go to the future. Yes. And see essentially the zombie overridden world uh, that uh, with the Gelf in charge. And that's right. It's the it's, pyramids of Mars scene. Exactly. It's totally a la pyramids of Mars, um, which would have been a crazy interesting choice. I'm kind of glad they mm. didn't do it because I feel mm. like, the The pyramids of Mars thing is not a thing you want to do every week, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to see that as like, um, I don't know this a uh, thing they they I like leaving it a little bit ambiguous because I think Doctor Who should have a little bit of a little more gray in terms of the laws of time and to let us mm-hmm. sort of come in with them and think about what's a fixed point in time and what's an alternative time and what's yeah. different timelines and different universes. Um, but it was that it definitely answers the question, like what would have happened and that um
1: <laughs> the that also, full of zombies. Like, mm-hmm. Adventures
0: in history do mean do doesn't mean that the things can't change. And even there mm-hmm. are words to that effect in the script in addition to that. Yeah. Um he says something like I'm, really I'm, quickly and snaps his fingers like your world could change like that.
1: Yeah. I and then instead they just sort of like they they talk about it as the gulf right. are approaching. Uh, yeah, I i get it, and I too am glad that they didn't do it because I think it would read as such an obvious copy of the pyramids of Mars of the, mm. the Sarah Jane scene and may may even give rise to a whole new dating controversy. <laughs> Rose says, Let's go back to 2015. No, um, no, she wouldn't do that. we have already established that it's 2005. Um, and, uh, but also, yeah, I, I'm glad they didn't do that because you've also established in this episode that the TARDIS is unreliable mm, and it right. took it, it was off by nine years. So what? It's just going to get exactly to 2005 and then it's going to get exactly back to 1869, the exact moment that you left just in time to finish the well, adventure.
0: It does always take him where he needs to go.
1: It does indeed. So, and we know this now, we know this post address. Uh, and clearly yeah. Idris was, was concerned about the rift and concerned about the gulf pouring through.
0: It. Ultimately it's, it's all just extraneous. You don't need it. You yeah. have the dialogue already. And I guess it was cut mostly for practical reasons. It just says, like, come on, dude, we can't, we can't do a whole zombie apocalypse set and make that convincing. In addition to all the <laughs> stuff we're doing. Already. That's
1: right. We can, we can barely get enough snow. <laughs> yeah. for Although notably in Cardiff, Mark Gatiss yeah.
0: did say that there's a great scene that, that great establishing scene when they're in Cardiff and, it's uh-huh. like the street scene and there's the horses yeah. and there's the snow and they're walking around and there's wide shots and close shots. And apparently they they backed up the money truck for that scene. They were like, they you did. know, we really want to show this, like spend more money. He said, which is something that he's like never heard in Doctor Who. Probably yeah, has right. never been said before or since uh, about the, the TV movie.
1: They do focus on shooting that scene in the confidential and they do. They have very young RTD on there crying about how he's executive producer and he doesn't have to stay for, for this delay that was caused by the snow, not lying. The snow machines, not, not uh, lying easily enough. Uh, and they're filming there in Swansea, by the way, it's not, it's not Cardiff, it's Swansea. It's Cardiff doesn't have enough oh, Victorian buildings. Man, Yeah. I feel bamboozled. But it was uh, Swansea standing in for Victorian Cardiff. And the great thing is that um, that RTD grew up in Swansea. And yeah. so he had this great experience of like, he's, he's like looking around the streets being like, I used to imagine Doctor Who here. As we all did as kids, like we imagined Doctor Who happening in our hometown. Uh,
0: and here it is,
1: right? You know, <laughs> dreams come true. Uh, just Just nice. extraordinary moment for him.
0: God bless Uh, us, everyone. And you know who God should really bless? (laughs) It's, of course, Clara Oswald, who is in every episode of Doctor Who, and we have to find her in this one. Where is the Clara Splinter? Hmm. Well... Uh, she may be a uh,
1: ticket tout offering uh, cheap, uh, you know, late arrival Dickens tickets to to this to this Gulf woman who's just walked up, and no
0: one else oh. is going to like sell a ticket to her. Like, how did yeah. she get in there? That makes sense. I like that. Yeah, why? Like, who let the stiff in? Charged in. She could, I think she got there super early, though. That might be it yeah. because, like, she's in the middle of this theater you know clearly like just got there and then even if someone had a ticket for that seat they're like eh, I'm, I'm just gonna let her have it <laughs> it's good <laughs> sure it's good.
1: yeah you take this it's fine i'm not gonna sit next to you creepy old lady um yeah maybe she is also responsible for showing up at charles dickens's doorstep uh on on new year's on uh, christmas eve and uh, being like Hello, Mr. Dickens. I, I heard you don't have a turkey. <laughs> heard, heard your turkey got burned on the way to Kent. So, uh, hey, uh, come along with me. I've got a last-minute gig for you in Cardiff.
0: Oh, nice. That's actually really good. I like that one. <laughs> all I, all and I he
1: would of- so go. I would know. I mean,
0: you've
1: you got to think that Charles Dickens would go for Clara Oswald. Exactly oh, his type. 100%.
0: Totally
1: his type. Love the brunettes.
0: So... I was thinking she's probably uh, helping build the flimsiest coffins in Cardiff. <laughs> that's the one. Because I, I, it's just like they just completely shatter. Like one corpse just has kick it slightly. And then it's like, okay, totally fine. Now we're out. So,
1: Yeah. Or maybe she's got some sort of ghostbuster machine that's like sucking in all the gelf and it's at the end of all the gas pipes at the gas works.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. There you go.
1: Because, like, where do the gulf go when they get sucked into the natural
0: gas? I have no idea.
1: It doesn't really establish them.
0: Yeah, I don't know why, like, they don't burn anyway. Because the, the yeah. gas is getting burned from the lamps anyway. But. Yeah, now, now we're getting into genocide territory. I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell? Every time the gulf. you use your gas stove, you are killing gelf.
1: <laughs> that's right. And that's why we should ban gas stoves and everyone should have induction.
0: All righty. We have to move on now, of course, to the final question. The only question, the only question that matters to the unquiet dead. What did we think of this episode? The pull open rating system, of course, has five ratings. There's the Dalek, which is what we give to a good episode of Doctor Who. The Ogron, which we give to a not so good episode of Doctor Who. The Professor Hater, already mentioned here in The Unquiet Dead, but that's a rating we also give to an episode of Doctor Who that isn't that great, but you know, at least we learned something, at least they tried something. Uh, The Viscount Banger, which of course we reserve for the best of the best, and the little used, although recently used, (laughs) fixed point in time where we have an episode that defies rating. uh, Yes. For reasons of nostalgia, but sometimes for other reasons.
1: Well... Before we answer this, I'd like to give the review of one Charlie Brooker, who you may know better as the uh, creator of Black Mirror, Uh, but back then was a a TV writer for The Guardian. And here's what he had to say about The Unquiet Dead. I think it may be the single best piece of family-oriented entertainment the BBC has broadcast in its entire history. Whoa it's clever it's funny it's exciting it's moving it looks fantastic and places is genuinely frightening tv really doesn't get better than this ever Impressive. which suggests to me yeah first yeah, of all yeah, this it's is a obviously a banger right that's <laughs> definitely a Vi-Camp banger it also reminds us that like we <laughs> this was an era in time where like tv wasn't necessarily that good you know mm-hmm, true. in the us the sopranos was only just starting to uh, you know like yeah. that was known as like yeah you know appointment
0: uh, it, it, yeah, it had TV been stuff. it had been on for a while, but I yeah. think the wire was just, basically the whole yeah. the whole era of quality TV, premium TV was just getting going, mm. uh, kicked off by The Sopranos. But yeah,
1: that's for sure. So- so, so Brooke, I, I think it's sort of, you know, part, partly the function of the fact that the TV has, uh, has, has gotten so much better since then, but also Dr. Who has like, and it's a reminder that like you, if you know, Dr. Who in 2005, you are thinking mostly classic show yeah. and like the, the new show has yet to establish itself. And this was really putting it on a firm footing. So I'm tempted, I'm very tempted to give it a Viscount banger, mm. um, because it's certainly got a most improved rating for me. It's one of those right. that I didn't particularly like when I first watched it. Um, uh, you know, I thought it was great that Simon Callow was in Doctor Who, but that was about it. Kind of left me cold. But the more I watch it, the more you watch it in retrospect, the more the, the better it gets. I think ultimately, I'm probably going to land on the Dalek side, uh, maybe, but <laughs> definitely Dalek like side. an Emperor Dalek. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, best of the best Daleks, top-notch Dalek, really, really good stuff. You know, difficult balancing act here at this point of the show's history. Uh, they they really pulled it off. So very nearly a banger, but ultimately Emperor Dalek.
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm coming down on the Dalek side too. And the Dalek side, I believe, is a big finish from about 2012, <laughs> 2012 or so. Uh, but if it isn't, you know, go, you, go ahead, guys. It, it will be isn't. soon enough. <laughs> but no, you're dead on. I think it definitely like uh, one of the most improved. I, I, similar to you. I remember thinking this was, wasn't a low point, but it was like, oh, okay, here's the history episode. Got yep. it. You know, we're done. Um, and in looking back and catching all of those not not even subtle hints, but the, the just sort of basking in Eccleston's doctor and how mm. that works even better in retrospect of the wounded time. Lord, he's not just trying out something new. It is that, Like he he's lashing out and has this in this emotional space of having just survived the time war, which, again, I don't think is just Mm. just in retrospect. I'm sure Davies was was writing him different, whether or not that would be um, uh, something that goes on and on or, uh, again, something that we just sort of look back on. But the the all the performances, all the stuff with Billy Piper, I mean, and just living that writing of Doctor Who again, where. Uh, my wife said this when we were watching it everyone's just so real it just came across as not just characters on a screen Uh, again i think billy piper is probably the best at this but everybody is just just you just feel it you were just it's just much feels much more visceral than um not every episode but a lot of episodes that have come since and i gotta say it's one of those things that makes me really look forward to the next era of doctor who Knowing mm. like whatever whatever stories are established, that it's going to have that hand at that, that attention to yes. detail and that that idea of like we're going to um, write this in a way that people will have that familiarity, that connection again with the characters uh, again. Not to yeah. raise my expectations too much <laughs> for the coming era, but uh, I. But
1: probably- it is R T D, and, yeah, and but- here is an example of him just pulling off what should be an impossible task. Mm. Right of, of simultaneously sort of introducing the whole overarching arc of, of the Time War. Well, not introducing it, but like fleshing it out. But then also like throwing in a mention of Bad Wolf. I mean, in the lesser writers' hands and in the lesser showrunners' hands, this could have been a mess. Mm. Uh, and it, it's definitely to RTD's credit and Gatsis' that, uh, that they made it just um, uh, unforgettable. and almost banger.
0: Definitely pulls it off. All right. Mm, and the
1: casting, yeah, incredible. It is not just
0: projections on glass,
1: <laughs> as Dickens says. Yes, <laughs> but it is time for us to uh, disappear down down a gas pipe yep.
0: uh, and <laughs> go to who knows where. Well, we need to uh, who knows, but the randomizer knows. Disappear our shed in front of a historical <laughs> figure so that he's just dazzled by the wondrousness of it. But where do we go? Mm-hmm. How are we going to find out where we go next? Well, of course, we are going to activate the randomizer. The randomizer, of course, consists of two components. First, the one before me right now is the pull to open codex, a list of every single Doctor Who episode ever broadcast on television. In sequential order. So we need Mm -hmm. to introduce a random element to pick one of these.
1: That's right. And that random element comes from gelf.org, which counts the number of gelf in your gas pipes. No, it's random.org, which looks at atmospheric noise bouncing around the atmosphere. It's a true random number generator, as opposed to the pseudo-randomness of algorithms which only guess at a random number using a mathematical formula. In predictable fashion, this is not predictable. We have no idea where we're going next. The atmosphere will decide if there are any gelf in the atmosphere, they will decide too uh unfortunately we have a gelf bingo so there's nowhere else we can go with them in it um but i stand at the controls of random.org aka the executor and uh, pete feeds me the number of stories that we have left to visit we started at the bottom now we're here we started at 301 pete now where are we
0: we are now at 218 all right 218 doctor who adventures we have That's not right. visited but
1: we are on course, my fellow pull-to-open friends, on this on this long, long journey. We are on course by the end of 2023 to get into the 190s, to get past the <laughs> wow. 200. Let's not count our,
0: <laughs> uh, count our dickens, I almost said. Uh, hey! <laughs> I scary. love it.
1: Yes, please write in and let us know what the other part of that slogan should be. Let's not count our dickens before their. are um, uh, serialized in interminable chapters. Well keep uh, in yeah.
0: mind the list is at three hundred and two right now of total yep. shows and it's going That's to be right. three hundred and five by your then. Uh,
1: that is a good point that is going to and we 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 have yet to know whether we have yet to make an official call on whether the sixtieth anniversary specials are separate stories Ooh. or one story.
0: <sighs> That's, That's gonna be a, uh, an interesting yeah. well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see yes. how it goes, but it'll be an interesting time to find out
1: but in the meantime, here we are with the randomizer we like to challenge the randomizer mm-hmm. um, so uh, last week we had the interesting opposite day challenge uh, Pete, you wanted to go to the future, I wanted to go further past, just to be oppositional and we ended up with something that was further in the future than Marco Polo, but still in the past
0: Split the excellent diff. Split the diff. Excellent splitting the diff by the randomizer love it, so uh, what about this week? what do you, what do you got? You know, I know I said a couple of weeks ago after the war games that I was warred out. But mm. this episode got my time war sensors going uh. so well that I'm like, take us to something more about the time war again. You know, like something that has some relevance to that, whether it's from series one or you can even go all the way to the end of time. Somewhere in that area. I guess I'm asking for some more RTD. <laughs> by default, <laughs> you there's, by there's, default yeah. there's back references as well in, in the Moffat era certainly So exactly um, yeah take us to something Timer related I'm going to have a similar similar vibe of take us to
1: something Bad Wolf related Whoa. which could have us sticking around here in the Eccleston era uh, or, of which we've only done we've only done Dalek so far, apart from Unquiet uh, Dead. So we're kind of we're hitting all the Eccleston bangers or near bangers. Uh or it could be it could be uh there are Moffat mentions of Bad Wolf. There's uh there's Turn Left. Uh we, we get some Bad left. Wolf in there. Yeah. That's uh, not awful,
0: so, That is uh there's a lot of Bad Wolf in Turn Left.
1: Yes, yes there are. So yeah, yeah, so it doesn't have to be just Eccleston. Um it was obviously an uh, an arc that lasted we there's a reference in day of the doctor which we've already been to so mm. uh, i guess our bad wolf references number two because i don't think it's mentioned in dalek mm. um Could so take, yeah
0: let's... would you take just wolves <laughs> sure if they're bad <laughs> um, so tooth and claw is up for, up for yeah. here. <laughs> tooth okay. and claw
1: definitely has some bad wolves
0: <laughs> oh, oh uh, all right okay are we ready <laughs> We're ready. Give me the countdown. Four, three, two, one. Affirmative.
1: Oh, 69.
0: 69. We've got a classic. I have to say nights, first of all. 69. Oh, we are at the pirate planet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Do it. We're we're getting close to Douglas Adams Bingo with this one. We are, and close to pirate Bingo. Oh yeah, we we
1: had uh, we had the smugglers. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we had. uh, Yeah, I I, I guess (laughs) that's it. Actually, (laughs) we've (laughs) not had Castle Black spot. We uh, space pirates. And we've not had uh, the Legend of the Sea Devils, which, yeah. <laughs> although it has had much mention on Pulso Open, because I famously did not watch it for a while. So but if yes, I'm close, you
0: mean slightly closer.
1: <laughs> slightly closer <laughs> but yes we have a douglas adams story so the yeah. the randomizer was not put off by destiny of the daleks which was the beginning of douglas adams's tenure as as script editor yeah. and famously saw him butt heads with terry nation um it wants this to see is, more and it i want to see more, more. and here we know. are not in the bad wolf arc but in the key to time season arc mm-hmm. yeah That's true. it's
0: an arc uh, I got to say that I'm really looking forward to this one. This one is interesting in that it was not novelized until recently. Mm. And the novelization is, uh, I actually read it. It's its a bit different from what oh, happened yeah? on screen. So I'll be excited oh. to talk about that. But I'm, you're going to have to wait till next week uh, to hear us talk about that. And when we talk about the pirate planet, ladies and gentlemen, it may be with other people present
1: that's right there may be maybe someone in the room yeah uh yeah we may have a guest for next week so very exciting come back for that uh we're we're gonna get we're gonna get funny with it i guess the i guess the randomizer really loves its doctor who human
0: you know we were talking about
1: how how important that is the dna of the show uh we're, we're certainly gonna see it in 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 spades right here
0: Alrighty. Well, folks, once again, this has been pulled to Open. Hey, it's a podcast. What do you do with podcasts? You, of course, subscribe to them. Uh, once you've hit that subscribe button, hey, don't hold back from leaving a review for the show in the Apple Podcast app. Reviews, of course, always help uh, make the podcast more visible to anyone looking for good Doctor Who commentary in that app or any other app. Uh, go ahead and rate us on Spotify if you can. And don't forget We just gave our ratings for the Unquiet Dead. Now it's your turn. Go into your Spotify app. Go to the poll feature and you have your say on whether it's a Dalek, an Ogron, a Viscount Banger, or whatever else you want to rate it. Um, Go ahead and give us a write-in rating if you like in the question period. There's there's another feature. You can go ahead and answer the question. Do all that. Follow us on social. uh, Pull to Open 63 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Pull to Open on TikTok. Thank you, Martin West, as ever, for our great music. And we will see you next time. We'll see
1: you on Caliprax,
0: guys. Take care.